Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedicate. And now get ready to think. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Think Podcast with Joel Sedicate. Today, I want to talk about something that I am very passionate about. As a matter of fact, it's the intersection of two things that I'm very passionate about. And those two things are apologetics and education. And uh, if you if you know anything about me or the Think Institute, you know that we do a lot of work in apologetics. Officially, our three fields of study are um, evangelism, the biblical worldview, and apologetics. But apologetics, I have so much fun with, probably the most fun with. I mean, you get to do debates, you get to, to uh, you know, apologetics is what gets people, uh, organizations to bring me in to teach, um, whether it's churches, retreats, um, conferences, things like that. And um, I, I have a lot of fun with it. Now, when it comes to education, uh, that's that's my, I have a, a background in education. I don't know if you knew that. So I, I want to just start out by telling you why I'm so interested in the idea of apologetics and education and the confluence of these two ideas, teaching apologetics to kids and students. And of course, if you if you know me, if you know the Think Institute, that's my organization. I'll let you see my t-shirt there. Okay. Um, then, uh, then you know that the method of apologetics, which we teach is presuppositional, uh, biblical presuppositional apologetics. Uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, although I think it should be, but uh, granted, I'm a little biased there. But that is the method that we teach. So we're, we're going to talk today about teaching apologetics to kids and students. Kids I'm defining as grade school, students I'm defining as middle school through high school and even into college. But um, we're going to be doing this from a presuppositional framework, although that's not going to come out super explicitly in all the points I'm going to mention today. It will be the background programming for what I'm talking about. So why am I interested in this? Well, if you go back in my own work history, um, my mom worked as an occupational therapist for like 30 years, and she worked in a lot of schools and a lot of special ed programs. And so some of my summer jobs during college was I would go into these special ed programs and I would work as a uh, either a float staff or a classroom staff, um, and I would work with special ed kids in uh, special needs kids in these summer programs. And I absolutely loved it. I loved working in the, the classroom. I loved working with kids who have special needs, whether they're mental, physical, and I, I just absolutely loved it. I was also a camp counselor right around that time. And God seemed to bring those kids who had those special needs into my cabin. And so um, I developed a love for edu- for education, but also um, learning how to explain things really, really well early on in my adult life. I um, uh, Well, I actually, you know what I did? I was a camp counselor in high school, and then I, I worked in special ed when I was in college, um, when I got out of college, uh, there was a, uh, I worked in a number of different jobs, but I was also a tutor, a reading tutor for a couple of summers and, uh, really enjoy, I, I just, I enjoy helping young people 
learn and uh, discover new ideas and and understand new ideas. I, I was also a, a high school Bible teacher for a couple of years and a youth pastor for three years. That was my my first real ministry placement after becoming a like a pastor in training. And you know what? I really ran the youth ministry like a school. I had a seven-year plan that I was developing to get a, a, a child from sixth grade all the way up to uh, high school. And the plan included what do they need to, and then what's the finished product going to look like, if you will, uh, coming out of high school. So biblical knowledge, theological knowledge, worldview and apologetics and evangelism. And I really tried to run it like a school. I was only there for three years, but had I been there longer, that's the really the route I would have taken. Um, in fact, I think some of the kids thought I was too boring or too serious because uh, I focused a lot on education. Now, we had fun. We did the Alka-Seltzer in the mouth, so you look like you're foaming, and we did all the, the fun like overnights and all the, the crazy stuff. But um, my passion is always for theology and, and education and um and, you know, I don't think education is boring. I think education is ex extremely fun and extremely exciting. And uh, the kids who got it, they they really got it. And I think they had a great time with it. Um, some of the highlights when I was a youth pastor, though, is I would speak at, uh, I spoke at one of our youth retreats, and I gave a talk on apologetics. And I had just finished watching Cy Ten Bruggenkate's film, How to Answer the Fool. And the the responses I got after teaching that, seminar, that breakout session at the retreat, the winter retreat, um, which, you know, my talk was very influenced by size film. They were just so encouraging to me. I had students coming up to me afterwards saying, I've never felt more confident in my ability to share my faith. And I'm like, man, that's, that's it. That's what I, that's what I love. That's what I want. I want to be able to teach people to be able to defend their faith with that level of confidence and to hold their faith with that level of confidence, you know, moving into further ministry positions, then like, as you progress down my, my, um, career history, I was an associate pastor at a church in Chicago Park Community Church for a little over two years. And while I was there as an associate pastor, I oversaw at two different locations of the church, the children's ministries and, uh, and worked directly with the youth minister. And, um, and I really, I enjoyed that. It was a little bit more administrative in that regard. I, I prefer a little more hands-on. Um, actually, I forgot to mention this, but my first, first, first ministry position at a local church was at Park. I was the coordinator for the um, kids ministry, the elementary kids ministry at the main campus down on Crosby in Chicago. And um, man, Really, really enjoyed that. And that actually led me, that was sort of my kickoff into ministry. Uh, that led me not only into further pastoral ministry, but uh, that was the first opportunity I had to speak at a, a summer camp, summer school. Um, and then I've spoken at other retreats. Um, it wasn't a summer school. It was VBS is what they call it. And a vacation Bible school. So I've spoken at kids retreats. I've spoken at, um, you know, youth retreats and um, or one youth retreat. And, you know, I just, I love it. I absolutely love education. I got my MA in philosophy of religion and I got my bachelor's in history. And, but I studied education in college for a couple of years and, and, you know, I enjoyed it, but it was what I was studying history education was not for me. Um, 
Where I've ended up now, though, is I, I get to teach through the Think Institute, apologetics, worldview evangelism, and I mainly do that with adults. But where I've had a ton of joy has been working with this one Christian homeschool co-op in the city of Chicago called Veritas. I've been able to work with them to develop curriculum. And um, and then coming this this coming fall, I'm actually going to be teaching at another homeschool co-op in the Tri-Cities area of Illinois and uh, going to be teaching an apologetics course and actually developing a curriculum that hopefully we'll be able to uh, to to market and to provide to other homeschool co-ops and churches and in schools. Um, and I, I do all this through the Think Institute. And then, of course, I wrote catechids a few years back for my own kids, which is our catechism for little ones, for elementary and preschool-aged kiddos. And I wrote that for my own kids, but it's been picked up by some churches, families, and um, some people buy them by the, the dozen. And we're now turning that into a podcasting video series. So why do I mention all this? Am I trying to toot my own horn? Eh, maybe a little bit. I want to show you that I know a little bit of what I'm talking about, just so you understand I, I am I am somewhat credible uh, in, in talking about this. But I don't claim to be the most knowledgeable guy out there, but I'm very, very passionate. I'm a father of four, and my wife and I are home educating. Now, she primarily does the home educating. Um, I lead family worship and do things like piano lessons and and um, uh, other aspects. I work with reading with my son. But um, as a dad, I know that there are many other dads out there and soon to be dads and want to be dads. And you're just as passionate as I am about making sure your kids develop the kind of faith that is going to stick, that they won't leave when they turn 18. That's what I'm passionate about as well. And I know that you guys are passionate about this as well, Think Squad, because some of my most popular, um, my, I think today my most popular podcast episode was me interviewing Doug Wilson about classical Christian education. And I've seen how you react when I have other guests on to talk about education or when I write blog articles about education. If you search the think.institute, the think.institute, um, search the blog for the topic of education. And there's, there's a number of resources and articles on there. I know that you're passionate about this as well as I am. I've worked in this field and I'm currently working in that field. I'm developing more resources and I want to share my journey into apologetics education with you as I work on developing this curriculum, as I work on discipling my own kids in this regard, I want to share this with you. And my hope is that together we can learn how to, how to teach apologetics to our kids, how to teach our kids to believe and articulate and share and defend the Christian message. Now, I, I might be a few steps ahead just because of the work that I've done, but that's that's good. I mean, that's I want to share my what I've learned so far and what I'm currently learning and what I'm going to learn with you all. And uh, and then some of you might be further ahead than me in this. And if so, I hope that you'll share your ideas and expertise with me as well. So just a quick little brief intro as to why I get into this field, why I enjoy it, and now we're going to move into the actual content, the reason you're actually watching this video right now or listening to this podcast right now. And that is, what does it actually look like to teach apologetics to youngsters, youngins, kids, offspring, 
students, children, um, precious little lambs. Let's, let's get into it. All right. So let's talk about three reasons to teach apologetics to kids and students. All right. Number one, it is a command from God. We are commanded in scripture to be like Jesus. We're supposed to imitate Jesus. And I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But Jesus was a master apologist. Jesus was the quintessential apologist. apologist. And if if we want to be like him, then we need to learn that skill as well. If, if for nothing else than to imitate Christ. So 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul definitely imitated Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was a master apologist as well. Why? Because he was imitating Jesus. He believed the Christian worldview, and he understood that imitating Jesus meant being able to defend the Christian message as well. So we want to be like Jesus. Uh, We are commanded to be like Jesus, and apologetics is part of that. Believers are also commanded to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. And that is 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Um, And when it comes to our own kids, we're commanded to bring them up in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. Dads, you especially, me especially, we're supposed to bring our children up. So if our wives are the primary homeschoolers, they're the primary teachers, which I think is the setup in most families' uh, arrangements, most households, if you're homeschooling your kids. It's usually the mom that does that, which I think is wonderful. Uh, my, my kids could not have, have a better teacher than my wife. I mean, she does an amazing, amazing job. But as the, the father in the home, what we have to understand is the buck ultimately stops with us. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, as the household head, we are ultimately responsible for what our kids are learning and how they're being brought up. Now, our wives and us, I mean, my wife and myself, we are one flesh and we are a team of equals. So um, what that means is we work together, but the scripture says that the head of the wife is her husband, is the man, and the head of the man is Christ. And so we have to give an account guys, men, directly to Jesus for the kind of education that our kids receive in in the house. So if you have a godly wife and she's doing homeschooling, or if, if you're a young couple and you're thinking about homeschooling and, um, and, and the arrangement that you're going to choose is the way you're going to set things up is that your wife, guys, are, are going to do that. That's a major blessing. You know, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and a blessing from the Lord. And that is so true. That is a good thing. We should celebrate that. We should be very grateful for that without shuffing off our responsibility to make sure that we are overseeing the process and being involved in it. And um, even if it's sort of, my wife and I joke about how it's sort of a, a principal teacher relationship or superintendent or something. I have a friend who describes that as a super, he's the superintendent, which of course, you know, how often does the superintendent really come around the school? Um, but um but but we are commanded to bring up our children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. So that's number one. It's a command from God. Number two is it prepares them for a non-Christian world. Hey, newsflash, we do not live in a Christian world. 
Now, there are a lot of Christians in it. Maybe you live in a more Christian area, the Bible Belt or something like that. Um, you know, our top three zones, geographic zones that listen to the Think Podcast are Chicago, LA, and I think Houston. So some of you guys definitely live down there in the Bible Belt, but the majority of us do not. And even if you live in the Bible Belt, the Bible is still pretty clear that the world system, the the world's way of doing things is non-Christian and is under the sway of the evil one. And so teaching apologetics is a great way to prepare our kids to go out into that world. You know, in Proverbs, it describes children as arrows in your quiver. Well, at some point you have to shoot the arrow, fire the arrow out into the world. And when do we do that? Well, that's different for different families. But when we do that, we want our kids to be ready. You don't want an arrow with a blunted tip. You want kids that are sharp and are and that are ready. The second reason, a second way that it prepares them for a non-Christian world is that it serves their evangelism, helps them become better evangelists to the people in their lives. We want to prepare our kids not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. And you can't have discipleship without evangelism. There is no great commission without evangelism. And we want our kids to be evangelist disciple makers. And apologetics serves evangelism when it's done right. And then finally, it prepares them for a non-Christian world by overcoming their own doubts. You know, do you know that your own kids are going to have doubts? Maybe they already do have doubts. If you've got young kids, five, six years old, you know the struggle of trying to get them to bed because right after you flick off that light and you get ready to close the door, that's when the questions come. Dad, if God knew Satan was going to sin, why did he create him? Okay, here we go. And the thing is, you want your kids to be ready to answer those questions when they're coming up, when they're still under your roof. Because when they go out in the world, guess what? They're going to have a lot of people trying to answer those questions for them with answers that are not based in the Bible, that are not based in truth. So we want our kids to not only have those answers, but to be able, but to, be able to think critically, clearly, strongly, and actively about these questions so that they can answer the questions that don't come up in your house, but you've given them the tools to do so. So it prepares them for a non-Christian world. Apologetics does. Um, and then thirdly, there's a blessing to the teacher. There's a blessing to you. There's a blessing to those who you entrust to teach apologetics to your kids. You know, apologetics is the defense of the truth of the Christian message or the vindication of Christianity. And in my experience of teaching apologetics, it is very satisfying to and very fun to teach kids and young adults, students, the kind of truth, the kind of solid truth that I know that they'll be able to defend and to be able to defend unapologetically. And that is very satisfying to me as a teacher, as a dad. Um, you also leave behind a legacy of discipleship that will last. You think about Paul's, the Apostle Paul's statement of how all of our work will be passed through the fire. If anyone builds on, no one can build on any foundation other than the one that's been laid. That's Jesus Christ. That's that's the, the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. But all of our work that we build on that foundation with is going to be passed through a, a fire of testing, a fire of evaluation, uh, which I believe is going to happen at the end of history, or at least at the end of our lives. And anything that that if that we built with wood, hay, stubble, that's going to be burnt up. But if we built with precious metals, precious stones, you know, that those things can pass through the fire and not be burned up. 
Well, what is Paul talking about in that passage? He's talking about our discipleship. Are we building a discipleship structure? Are we building into our disciples with those timeless, robust, fireproof truths that are going to last? And teaching apologetics in a strong biblical way is a blessing to the teacher because we know if we're doing it right, we are investing in disciples in such a way that it's going to last and going to create a legacy. And then you know what else? I'll tell you what else is a blessing. It increases your own knowledge. It increases your own readiness, your godliness. As you study and prepare, as the teacher studies and prepares, there's a drawing closer to God as we study apologetics for ourselves. I mean, my shelves are lined with books on apologetics. Um, my, my desk has more of them. I love reading about apologetics because it is such a a blessing to me. The more I learn about God and his truth and how strong it is, it's a blessing to me to to uh, to feel that closeness to God and that confidence in God. And so there's a blessing to the teacher uh, that um, that comes from teaching apologetics. So the three reasons to teach apologetics to kids, one, it's a command from God. Two, it prepares them for a non-Christian world. And then three, there's a blessing to the teacher. All right, I can see that there's at least one question come in. And um, I want to address all the questions at the end, just the way we're structuring this episode. That's what we're going to do. So if you have a question, hang on till the end and we'll get to it. And I'll do my best to answer your question. If you have a comment, you can leave that down there as well. All right. Now let's talk about who should teach apologetics to kids. Um, and actually, I want to talk about five options or, or five different kinds of people or groups that can teach apologetics to kids. The first one is sort of a Sunday school answer, and that's God. You know, God is the master teacher. God is the one ultimately who we turn to for truth, for sound doctrine, and God is the master teacher of our kids. If um, if our children are children of God, if they trust in God, if they've received Jesus as Savior and Lord, according to uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, then God gives them the right to become children of God. And what does a good father do? He teaches, he disciplines, he instructs. God is the master teacher of our kids. So all of our apologetic training needs to draw from what God has said. It needs to draw from God's word, and it needs to be done in the context of his lordship. But do you know that God often also circumstantially brings opportunities for us to be able to defend our faith? into our lives. I remember when I was first learning apologetics back in 2011, 2012, I started to blog on apologetics. I was studying it in seminary. And what I would find is God would bring me encounters with people, whether it's on the Metro train going home, whether it's in Starbucks in downtown Naperville, God would bring me encounters with people, skeptics, atheists, who were at the exact level asking the exact question that I needed them to ask that I was prepared to be able to answer. And as I've studied more, God has deepened the level of understanding that my atheists and skeptics and non-Christians have. And uh, so that's been kind of cool, actually. But God is the master teacher, and he really curates the apologetic experience. Second, from a human perspective, this is the most important Parents own the education of their children. If you go 
onto my website, thethink.institute. I wrote this whole article about this a couple of years ago on how parents must own the education of their own children. Biblically speaking, that is indisputable. But the church is also entrusted to teach these things to kids as well. 2 Timothy 2, 2 um, records Paul telling Timothy, his protege, to entrust what Paul told Timothy to other capable men who can then in turn teach others. And he's saying this in the context of Timothy being a pastor in the local church. So that doesn't, of course, just apply to apologetics, but Paul being a master um, apologist and doctrinaire or uh, uh, Bible teacher, as he's teaching Timothy that solid truth, he's expecting that Timothy is going to be able to pass it on as well. And so when you look at what Paul teaches in his letters, there's a lot of doctrine, but there's also apologetic against false ideas that are erupting and, and coming into and infiltrating the church. So the church is entrusted with this as well, even though the the buck really stops with parents, and I would say even further with dads when it comes to education, but the church can be a wonderful partner with the family in teaching apologetics. Um, as someone who works with local churches, this is what I love to see as a former pastor. I know how difficult it is for pastors to find those opportunities, which is one of the reasons why I offer what we do to churches, because I, I want to partner with churches in their vision of making disciples. And I'm uniquely poised to be able to do that just because this is what I do full time, whereas a pastor has got a million other things to do. And and so churches play a major role in that. Um, but there are other teachers and curricula, parachurch organizations that can certainly brought, be brought in. So this is the fourth teacher or group that should teach apologetics to kids. Um, the Think Institute is a great example. You know, this is what we do. We go around, we serve churches, we serve, we, we talk at conferences. You know, we, we're creating curriculum. I wrote catechids. We're doing podcasts. Why? Because we want to serve families, serve men and women, moms and dads and their families in inculcating these truths and teaching these skills, the skills of apologetics and defending the faith and articulating the Christian message. So parachurch, um, other organizations can be brought in. Ultimately, they need to do this in accordance with the with what the Bible says. By the way, private schools, private Christian schools fit into this category as well. A school is not family. A school is not the church. It's sort of a parachurch organization. Parachurch has gotten a bad rap, but listen, I work for a parachurch. Uh, the parent organization of of the Think Institute is Crew, Crew Church Movements, the non-woke division of Crew, a non-woke division of Crew. And um, ultimately, again, parents have to own this. Um, but then number five, the fifth group or teacher that should teach kids and students apologetics, you know who it is? The student himself, the student herself. We want our kids to take ownership of their own learning experience. Now, the parents, I, I know I just said the parents own it, but I want I, I love to see kids taking ownership of the experience, meaning they they as they grow in their abilities, they begin to self-guide. They begin to explore their own questions because someday that little birdie, that little nestling is going to leave the nest and is going to become a fledgling, is gonna is gonna hop around on the ground for a little bit, flapping, you know, flapping the, their little wings, and and then they're gonna take off. 
And they're never going to return to the nest except for holidays. And mom's going to be sad and it's going to be, no, no, I'm, I'm going too far with this. But um, re- regardless of how often they come back to visit, at a certain point, they're going to be adults. And we want our kids to be prepared and ready so that when they hit adulthood, real adulthood, and leave the home, leave the house, we know that we're sending them off, having done everything we can to equip them to to get out there and um, and to own their own education, and specifically in this case, apologetic education. All right. So if you're just joining us, you can, uh, in case you didn't know, you can leave a question in the comments below. We've got a couple comments, questions coming in, and uh, maybe we'll have some more to address at the very end. But first, let's talk about how does apologetics fit in with the trivium. Now, the trivium, classically speaking, is the first three liberal arts of the seven liberal arts. And um, and what they are is grammar, rhetoric, and logic. Actually, but flip those last two. It's grammar, logic, and rhetoric. The trivium has come into the collective consciousness lately, and by that I mean in the last few decades, thanks to the work of Dorothy Sayers and others who have popularized the idea of classical schooling, classical education. In Christian circles, within the last 25 to 30 years, there's been a lot of influence from a guy named Doug Wilson, whom I've had on this show, one of my most popular podcasts, the most popular podcast episode I've ever done is Classical Education with Doug Wilson. And Doug Wilson kicked off the classical Christian education movement. He describes it like the guy at the top of a mountain who kicks the stone, causing the landslide or causing the avalanche. The movement was ready to happen. He he just got the ball rolling. And the the trivium is part of this whole scheme of classical education or classical Christian education. A lot of homeschoolers are using uh, curricula like classical conversations and classical conversations is a great curriculum. We, my kids used to be part of a co-op that used classical uh, conversations, but if you're into classical conversations, if you're into classical education, then your kids are most likely following the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Now the, the, at the grammar stage, this is where rote memorization happens. This is where you're learning the language of whatever the field of study is, whatever the subject matter is. So, you know, in mathematics, this is where you're learning numbers, maybe uh, basic addition, basic subtraction. You're learning what the symbols mean. In religion, this is historically the catechesis phase this is the this is where you catechize your kids so if you grew up catholic and you went to ccd or re you know about about being catechized maybe you loved it maybe you hated it but you know what it is it's where you're learning the basics of your religion the basics of the faith and how does a teaching apologetics fit into that first phase, that phase of grammar? Well, this is where you catechize your kids. This is where you use something like my catechism called Catechids, or you use the New City Catechism by Tim Keller, or you use a Catechism for Boys and Girls, which is a great Reformed Baptist catechism, I believe, but it's what's preferred by my church, Redeemer Fellowship. But you're teaching kids 
the song and dance of repeating answers. So catechid starts out like this. Who is God? The Lord is God. You ask any one of my kids, who is God? They'll instantly reply, the Lord is God. They just, they know it. They've had it beat into their heads, um, metaphorically speaking, for years and years. And they, they actually take great pride in knowing how to, you know, having those answers ready to go. Um, and even Jojo, our little one, our little, our little three-year-old, you can ask her, is there any true God besides the Lord? She'll say no. And then you ask, how many persons are in the Godhead? She'll say three. Who are the persons in the Godhead? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you just go down the line. And she can probably say the first 10 or so questions right now um, without, uh, you know, maybe with a little bit of help. But this is the grammar phase. This is your learning. Now, does she know what Trinity means? You know, does she understand the difference between the economic trinity and the ontological trinity? Is she a social trinitarian? Uh, is she a classical theist? No, none of these things are going to factor into it. Is she ready for apologetics? No. If you told her there was more than one God, she'd probably laugh at you. That would be the extent of her apologetics, which by the way, not a bad approach sometimes. But at the grammar phase, you're just learning the basics, catechism. So if somebody has like a three-year-old kid, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, and they they ask me, Joel, how can I teach my kids apologetics? I would, I would just say, start by catechizing your child. Start by teaching them the basics of the Christian faith. Teach them to know God. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the books of the Bible. And just lay down that groundwork because that's all going to come into play later when we get to apologetics. We want it to be thoroughly biblical. So we want to have those basic biblical Christian truths in their heads before we go on to the more advanced stuff. So speaking of the more advanced stuff, let's talk about the logic phase. Now, this is where we're getting more into like the middle school years. I know if you're homeschooling, maybe your kid's younger and they're more advanced. Maybe they're acting like, you know, they're thinking like a 14-year-old, but they're only nine. Okay, fine. If you think your kid's in the logic phase, then let's talk about that. This is where you begin to teach the the biblical worldview from a more philosophical perspective. I'm not saying you're necessarily getting into the Platonic forms and things like that, which by the way, that's not the biblical worldview anyway, but um, you're not maybe going into the most robust philosophy, although maybe you are. Maybe your kids are ready for that, and that's fine. My kids have already started to to learn about Homer and you know the uh, the Odyssey and things like that. But when we're talking about uh, the the logic phase, we want to begin to teach them the the main questions, the central questions that every worldview needs to answer. And how does the biblical worldview answer these questions? So now we're not just saying who is God. Now we're talking about metaphysics. Now we're talking about what is ultimately real. You know, we're not just talking about what is sin. Sin is disobeying God, according to catechids, according to the Bible, I think. Um, but now we're getting into what is morality? You know, what is ethics? Um, how do we know right from wrong? What is beauty? You know, we're teaching the biblical worldview from, from a, a systematized, maybe more philosophical kind of outlook. We're not really necessarily teaching them to defend it, although there's some of that, but we're teaching them how do all the parts and pieces fit together? And and maybe what are some of the other worldviews that are out there that the pieces might not fit together quite as well? And then finally, in the rhetoric phase, rhetoric is when you begin to activate 
the worldview. You begin to put it into practice. You begin to bring it into conflict and collision with some of the other worldviews that are out there. As a Christian, this is where we begin to weaponize our worldview, not against people, but against competing unbiblical ideas, false ideas that are out there. We want to know how does Christianity interact with other philosophies? This is where we really get into the uh, the really fun stuff, those presuppositional arguments, the transcendental argument for God. Um, you tell me, what's your favorite apologetic argument? You can leave that down in the comments. Shoot me an email at thethink.institute at gmail.com. You know, what are your favorite arguments? But these are the arguments we begin to teach kids in the rhetoric phase. And I don't know about you, but when I was in my teens, you know, that's when I uh, that's when I started loving to debate in English class or I would get on the uh, the old internet forums and I would start to debate with Roman Catholics and and different people who believed differently than me. Um I was testing out my worldview and seeing how it compared to other worldviews and uh, generally had a lot of fun with it. So that's how apologetics fit in in the trivium. If you're more of a classical educator, um, let me know your thoughts on that down in the comments. If you if you agree, um, l- let me know. If you disagree, just you know, just just keep it to yourself. No, no, I'm kidding. I want to hear that as well. Any chance I have to make this better, I want to take it. Okay, now let's talk about twelve apologetics skills students should learn before they graduate from high school. 12 apologetic skills students must learn before they graduate high school. All right, buckle in for this because there's going to be a lot of scripture and I'm going to try to go through these fast. Number one, they should know how to define a worldview, including key questions that all worldviews answer. So scripture tells us to hold to the pattern of sound teaching. In order to do that, we need to know what the Bible teaches. What is that pattern of sound teaching? They also need to understand what different worldviews teach in order to reach them. You know, you think about the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now, how does the Apostle Paul know what the people under the law and the people outside the law believe? Well, Paul was a student of different worldviews, and Paul understood the key questions, the key ideas that all worldviews interact with, and he knew well enough what the different worldviews believed that he could adopt for the sake of argument or for the sake of um, you know, uh, communication, these different worldviews in order to reach people within those worldviews. And you see this brilliantly in Acts chapter 17, how he adopts the um, the philosophy of some of the Athenian uh, poets and really just lets them have it with both barrels, apologetically speaking. It's really, really cool to see. But you have to be able to define a worldview and know the key questions that all worldviews answer. So that's skill number one. Skill number two, compare and contrast how the Bible answers important questions with the answers from some of its competitors. Okay, Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
So we want to know what these other worldviews are teaching so that we can watch out for them. You don't have to become, you know, some sort of pseudo adherent of these different religions, but we need to be able to recognize philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world when we're coming face to face with them. And our kids need that so that they can know how to combat that. They need to be able to compare and contrast the biblical answers with the unbiblical answers. First uh, John 4, 1 says, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, test the spirits. We need to be able to discern. How does the Bible answer these questions? And, hmm, these answers over here might even sound good, but they're not biblical. So comparing and contrasting, very important. Task number three, convey the importance of having a biblical worldview. They ought to be able to articulate, our kids, our our students, our youths, need to be able to articulate why it's so important to have a biblical worldview. You know, in Proverbs 1.7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If the fear of the Lord, reverence and awe of God, right worship and, and relationship to God is the beginning of knowledge, then Everything else that is built on that foundational fear, that foundational awe and reverence of God, um, if you try to to build it on some other foundation, it's not going to be true knowledge. It's going to be what Scripture calls knowledge falsely so-called. And so you really have two options. You've got true knowledge, which is built on the fear of the Lord, the, the foundation of biblical Christianity, and then you've got everything else. Where does everything else come from? First John 5, 19 says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So any worldview that is adopted from the world or intermixed with ideas that are unbiblical is not of the world, but is rather evil. It's under the sway of the evil one. So we want our, our students and our children to be able to convey the importance of having a biblical worldview. By the time they graduate high school, they should be able to do this. Number four, skill number four, they should be able to demonstrate understanding of the centrality of the gospel to the biblical worldview. Jesus himself said that the scriptures bear witness to him. They testify to him. In John chapter five, verse 39, he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about uh, Genesis through Malachi, the, the law and the prophets and the writings, or what we sometimes call the Tanakh. The the scriptures bear witness to Jesus. They're all about Jesus. And, and the gospel is just the the life, the atoning death according to the scriptures, the burial the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15. So we need to understand that that message is the centrality of the biblical worldview. It's the core of the biblical worldview. In Think about Luke chapter 24, verse 27, where it says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that is the resurrected Christ, interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So all throughout the the Bible, the Old Testament, there are things that point to Jesus. Um, That's not true about any other biblical character, 
um, prophet. It, there, there's no, you know, it's not like everything is about Moses. Everything is about Jesus. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel. So the gospel is central to the biblical worldview, to what the Bible teaches. Task five, that every high school graduate who's a Christian ought to have mastered. Articulate and commend the biblical gospel, recommend the biblical gospel. You know, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 15 um, records Paul saying that he delivered the gospel as of first importance. Uh, in, um, in Luke chapter 24, verses 44, let's see, yeah, 40, you know what? I'm not sure where that is. 44, I think. It says, um, ah, no, verse 46. Here's what it says. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So that's the gospel that Jesus teaches to his disciples after he's risen from the dead. And then in Acts 1.8, which is like Luke, like Acts is Luke part two. It's the sequel to Acts. He says that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So the gospel is of uh of the utmost importance, and it's what Jesus has sent out his followers to teach. So that that's where this task comes from. They need to be able to articulate and commend the biblical gospel. Task six, guide others to Christ by using various evangelistic methods and techniques. You know, in Acts chapter two, if you go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 47, you read about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down. The first thing the Holy Spirit did was to give believers the ability to speak in different languages to people who had come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So this idea of contextualizing the gospel, being creative with the gospel, is actually God's idea. The When I say being creative, I don't mean um, doing things that would undermine the message or make it goofy or something like that. There is real truth to the idea that what you win them with is what you win them to. But the idea of being creative to communicate the gospel in ways people will understand is very, very biblical. And so, so we need to be able to do that. Again, when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, that he became as a Jew to the Jews, as one not under the law to those not under the law. He's talking about gospel contextualization, evangelistic creativity. God gave us minds. God gave us the ability to think, and he wants us to use that for creative evangelism. Task number seven, we ought to expect that our high school graduates should be able to define apologetics and give the the biblical basis for its, for its practice. Define apologetics and give the biblical basis for its practice. So they must know that apologetics is God's will so that they can do it in faith. They must know that it's biblical because whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, according to Romans 14.23. So thankfully, the Bible does teach that apologetics comes from God. It's 
rooted in the biblical worldview. It's rooted in the holiness of Christ. First Peter 3.15 and 16 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. And he goes on, but this idea of apologetics is rooted in the fear of Christ, and it's rooted in Scripture. Um, apologetics was practiced by Jesus all over the Gospels, as well as by Apollos, Peter, and Paul, and others in um, Acts and in the Epistles. So apologetics is a thoroughly biblical practice, and our high school graduates should be able to define what apologetics is and give the biblical basis for its practice. And um, so that's very important. Task number eight. Our high school graduates ought to be able to demonstrate understanding of the necessity of a biblical approach to apologetics. If you're going to defend God's truth, you need to defend it God's way. Well, Luke 21, 15 records Jesus saying that he says, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus gives the answers. Jesus gives the wisdom. It doesn't come from William Lane Craig. It doesn't come from Saiten Bruggenkate. It doesn't come from Joel Sedeckes. It doesn't come from Jeff Durbin. It's Jesus who gives the answers. He gives the Holy Spirit. He gives the word. He orchestrates things so that we have the opportunity and the ability to refute unbiblical ideas and commend the gospel in a robust, intelligent way. And we better base our apologetics on scripture because the Bible says that every word of God proves true. According to Proverbs 35 through 6, it doesn't say every word of Joel proves true. It doesn't say every word of you proves true. Um, and then in John 10, 35, it says the scripture cannot be broken. So, man, I don't know of a better basis for apologetics than scripture. We better have a biblical approach to apologetics. Task number nine. We ought to be able to describe different apologetic approaches and and detail their differences. Our high school graduates should be able to do this. And, and really, this is entailed by the previous one. You know, um, if you can demonstrate the the necessity of a biblical approach, then you need to know how to separate biblical approaches from unbiblical ones. Task number 10. We need to be able to defend the biblical worldview using a three-step presuppositional method. Every high school graduate should be able to do this. Now, this is where I'm showing my cards a little bit as a presuppositionalist. I know some of you are not presuppositionalists. I understand that. But I think that every Christian uh, 18-year-old, let's say, ought to be able to do this. First of all, because I think it's the best biblical method, the best apologetic method. I think it's the most biblical. This is how Jesus argued in the Gospels. You know, I'm teaching a course right now on the apologetics of Jesus and Paul. Jesus always did this. Um, he dismantled his opponent's worldview internally. He presented biblical truth uncompromisingly, and he rebuked or called his opponents to repentance. And that's, um, even if it was just an implicit call, that's step three. So he, Jesus used a three-step presuppositional method. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole method and how it comes from scripture and things like that. But at the very least, even if it's not the method that our children and students end up adopting, they ought to be able to at least reason that way and at least give a defense 
that way presuppositionally. Task number 11. They ought to analyze the arguments presented in apologetics encounters in Scripture. Let me break that down again. They ought to be able to look at Scripture and look at the different apologetic encounters that were had by Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and they ought to be able to break those down to rightly divide the word of truth, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, so that they can imitate Christ. You know, Jesus did a lot of apologetics in Scripture, and 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. How do we imitate Christ unless we're able to analyze what he did, study what he did, and learn from what he did? And then finally, task number 12, every high school graduate who's a Christian ought to be able to demonstrate an ability to connect apologetics to evangelism. Now, Scripture does this for us. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Our hope is that our opponents would repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, that's a gift from God, but God uses means. God uses um, people like us. Think about Jude 122 and 25, or 122 through 23. It says, Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, even hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. See, our goal in apologetics is we want to save people. We want to rescue them, snatch them from the fire with mercy, but with fear, understanding that sin is real. Unbiblical ideas are sometimes convincing, not because of logical reasons, but because we ourselves are sinners. So we need to do it with great fear and trepidation, with great caution, but also great love and great gentleness. So, Those are the 12 tasks that I believe every high school graduate ought to have mastered by the end of their high school experience. I'm talking about Christians, of course. Now, if you're like 17 and you're listening to this, very possible, and you're like, man, I don't have that down at all. There are resources out there. I would recommend you get the book called Expository Apologetics by Vodi Bauckham. I would recommend that you, um, you do a YouTube search of Jeff Durbin apologetic encounters. Um, I recommend that you read the book, Every Thought Captive by Richard Pratt. Look, these are all things that I've done, but they're also things recommended by the Think Squad in the Think Squad Facebook group. And if you're not involved in that group right now, go check that out. Think Squad, the Think Institute discussion group, I think is the full name of it. But we've got we've got a number of people in there. I think um, I forget how many people, but it's it's awesome. The discussion is totally great. And I posed this question, what presuppositional apologetics resources do you recommend for kids? And I got some good responses. So those are the 12 skills every Christian high schooler ought to learn. If you're a parent, um, this is what we need to be working towards. If you're a soon-to-be parent, wannabe parent, wannabe dad, listen, it's a tall order and no one's perfect. So Accept the fact that God has grace for you, like accept that, but also accept the challenge and the the honor that comes from having kids to disciple. And maybe you don't have any kids, but maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a teacher in a, a private school, um, or you work at some somehow in some kind of a, a homeschool 
co-op. Maybe you just have like great connections with the, the young people in the neighborhood. You know, these are some goals that you could, you know, uh, introduce to some Christian. Maybe you're discipling a young Christian man. Hey, maybe he's already out of high school. Uh, maybe he's in college, maybe even beyond. But these are some skills to work on with people that you disciple because it's super important. It's necessary. It's absolutely vital to teach apologetics to the next generation of disciples, of, of followers of Jesus coming up because we don't live in a Christian world, but God has commanded us and resourced us to live in that Christian world confidently, boldly, and in a way that honors Christ and actually wins more children for the family of God, uh, catches more fish, if you will. All right. So that about wraps it up. I do have four comments I need to address. So if you are uh, watching and you want to do a, um, you want to leave a comment, I'm, I'm going to start addressing them now. Here we go. Oh, Michael Jahoski says he's looking forward to the session. Hey, man. Uh, I really appreciated it. All your interactions in the Think Squad group. Think it, speaking of the Think Squad group, but hopefully it lived up to your expectations. Jake B says starting a Bible study group at a public middle school next year in Georgia, looking for ways to get them introduced to apologetics. Fantastic, Jake. That is totally awesome. Listen, could you shoot me an email, Jake, if you're still watching or if you catch this later? Um, no, I forgot my email. Thethink.institute at gmail.com is my um my email. If you shoot me an email, I'd love to talk with you about what you're doing there. And I'll put that up on the screen. Thethink.institute at gmail.com. But I'd love to know what you're doing. I'd love to know how you're doing it. And I'll say when I was in middle school, I was involved in a Bible study. And it meant a lot to me. I still remember those meetings in sixth grade. It really, really meant a lot. It went a long way towards my discipleship. And I was actually just thinking about that group earlier today. So good on you, man. God bless you for doing that, Jake. That's really great. I'd love to hear from you about it. Michael Jahoski says, good stuff. Okay, good. That's I'm glad to to know that he uh, he liked what he heard. That's good. Um, by the way, Michael Jahoski, I don't know if he's still watching or not, but if you guys are at all interested in like fantasy and literature, Michael Jahoski wrote a fantastic book called The Good News of the Return of the King. It's all about the, the Lord of the Rings saga and the Tolkien legendarium and how it's Christian without being a, a one-for-one allegory. It's really, really just a fantastic book. I recommend it. And then be sure to catch Jahoski's interview where he came on my show, the Think Institute, uh, the, the Think Podcast. And uh, and we talked about that. And I think it's called Is L-O-T-R Christian? So definitely check that out. And uh, after you've done that, we did another episode on how on um, how the Bible, how the literary techniques of scripture actually prove that it's written by God. So uh, if you go on our YouTube channel and search for Michael Jahoski, you'll find both those episodes. And, and I'll tell you, uh, Jahoski, we got to get you on here again, man. I really enjoyed both of our episodes that we did together. David Chu says, what is the importance and implications of the methodolog methodological pro? Uh, you can tell I've been talking for over an hour. What is the importance and implications of the methodological approach used? Which approach should we teach first? Great question. I am all in on presuppositionalism. I think presup 
is the best best method. I think it's the most biblical. That being said, evidence, logic, reason, philosophy, I love all those things. I think you can teach them from a presuppositional background, methodology. Especially for Christians, I think that evidences and uh, philosophical arguments They have done a ton to strengthen my own faith. The ontological argument, I love the ontological argument. The evidence for Christ's resurrection. Go check out J. Warner Wallace's work in that regard, or go check out the Daily Apologist. Uh, They're doing great work in evidential apologetics as well. But for me, I think the most biblical method is biblical presuppositionalism. And and again, go check out Vody Bauckham's book, Expository, Expository Apologetics, or the late Greg Bonson's book, Always Ready. And there's a ton of um, apologetics training out there. Go check out Jeff Durbin, Saitan Brigenkate, James White. Anybody who's working in, in presuppositional apologetics can help you out. Hey, you can keep watching my channel as well, David Chu, because uh, that this is the method that I use. And so anything with apologetics in the title or hashtag dat presup, that's an episode where I've talked about apologetics as well. All right. Uh, last question comes from Robert Knippy or Knipe, Knip. Help me out there, Robert. How do I pronounce your last name? I'm going to say Knippy because I like that. Uh, but sorry if I'm butchering it. Um, let me know. He says, what do you mean by recommend the gospel? I may have understood. You also said commend. Can you define this part of their task? Yes. All I mean by that, I'm talking about evangelism. This is where the Apostle Paul says, um, Let's see. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, Paul may have been actually speaking about believers there, who he's, he's pleading with, but I think we do this with unbelievers, don't we? We, we um, commend, let's see, we go. The verse I want to pull up as well. We commend Christ. We recommend Christ. Now, we're also commanding. God also commands all people everywhere today to repent. But as ambassadors for Christ, we are holding out that message of salvation, and we're recommending, if you will, that people repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we water down the message, if that's what you're concerned about, Robert. We don't say, well, you know, just try Jesus for a little while. And if you don't like him, you know, forget about him. We don't do that at all. What we say is, look, you are a sinner just as I am. I'm not any better than you. The only difference between the two of us is I have received God's gracious gift because sin deserves death, hell, wrath. And right now you are under wrath. You are headed for hell and you deserve condemnation. The good news, though, is that there is a free gift from God of eternal life in Christ Jesus, who died on the cross for sinners like you and me. He was buried and he rose again, just as God said he would in the Bible. And anyone who repents and trusts in Jesus Christ, believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, will be saved. No one who calls on the name of the Lord will be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what am I doing there? I'm commending the gospel. I'm recommending the gospel. Um, so hopefully I didn't use the wrong word there, Robert, but uh, you can let me know if, what you think about that. 
All right. If you have any questions about about this, we went long today. I'm also going to split this episode up into smaller episodes now that I know how to do that. And um, oh, here we go. Okay, Robert says, "Thank you. You addressed my concern." Long I silent E. So knipe, knipe. Is it knipe or knipe? Do we put a little schwa there on that first A? Now I'm going back to my reading tutoring days. The schwa is the vowel that disappears. Knipe or knipe? Let me know. Um, but thank you for for correcting me on that. Um, if you have any questions, you can send them over to thethink.institute at gmail.com or if you're interested in partnering with us, you can go to give.crew.org slash 101-8841. 101-8841 is our giving number. Because we are missionaries with crew, we, we work under the auspices of a non-woke division of crew called the, uh, called church movements. And, um, that is what the Think Institute is. It's a ministry within a ministry. And so if you have been blessed or encouraged or equipped by the work that I'm doing, that my wife and I are doing, please consider partnering with us um, prayerfully. Give to your local church first. But we are supported, like missionaries, which is what we are, by the generous contributions, tax-free contributions from like-minded individuals. And um, I'll also say that if you're interested in getting me into your church to talk more about this kind of thing, you can do that by going to thethink.institute slash booking. Thethink.institute slash booking. All right. Now, before I go, I want to just commend our social media pages. And um, that Robert, that was for you. Commend. And uh, you can find us on Gab. We are at Think Institute. On Facebook, we're at The Think Institute. On Twitter, we are at thinkinst, I-N-S-T. And, um, you know, really the best place to go, catch us on your, your favorite podcast, catch your app, catch us on YouTube, catch us on Gab TV, or just simply go to thethink.institute. You can get the whole back catalog of episodes and um, everything that we're doing. So thank you very much. I certainly hope this was helpful. I... um. I want just to remind you, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. And I'll see you again next time, Lord willing. And until next time, I hope it made you think. <laughs>